Are you selling a little or a lot? Either way, Shopify helps you do your thing. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. In fact, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And now you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Most of the business owners who listen to No Bullshit Leadership want to go large. What's so cool about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, it gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash leadership or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash leadership now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash leadership. Welcome to the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. In a world where knowledge has become a commodity, this podcast is designed to give you something more. Access to the experience of a successful CEO who has already walked the path. So join your host, Martin Moore, who will unlock and bring to life your own leadership experiences and accelerate your journey to leadership excellence. Hey there, and welcome to episode 224 of the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. This week's episode, Leading Through Major Upheaval, 90% Attitude and a Dash of Realism. There are many disruptive events that you're likely to experience throughout your career that are going to challenge you and sometimes they'll push you to the very edge of your personal and professional capacity. Throughout my corporate career, I was extremely fortunate to be involved in a number of really significant business events. Being on the wrong end of a semi-hostile takeover, acquiring another business, a major IPO on the ASX, expanding into new geographies, preparing for trade sale, and forming new joint ventures. I realised pretty quickly that I needed to change my attitude and mindset if I wanted to come out the other end of these situations with my sanity, health and reputation intact. And at times like these, it's not just about managing yourself. You have an obligation to your team to provide strong, stable and dependable leadership. You've got to be the rock that they can cling to in the middle of a raging sea. So when your people look to you for leadership in the most turbulent times, what do they see? Today. I'm going to deconstruct the leadership attitude and mindset that you'll need most in times of major upheaval. So I'll begin with a story about one of my earliest exposures to a major corporate event. I'll then talk a little bit about the unique characteristics of some of the different types of major business events. And I'll finish by giving you my top seven hacks to ensure you have the right mindset and attitude, even in the direst of circumstances. So let's get into it. I went through some incredibly disruptive events during my corporate career, and it's fair to say that some of them pushed me to the edge of my personal capacity. Now, my pattern, in terms of extreme turmoil, was to neglect my health. I'd replace my 5am run with another hour of sleep, and my go-to coping mechanism was just to drink more alcohol. I put all my energy into trying to keep my head screwed on straight and absorb the pressure of the environment, 
for me and my people. Now, obviously, this comes at a cost, although now I'm much more comfortable and skilled at retaining some semblance of balance in times of extreme turmoil and upheaval. Despite the toll, when I look back, I am so grateful that I was in those situations. I never felt that there was anything I couldn't ultimately handle, and the accelerated learning that I took from each situation really turbocharged my career. I couldn't have achieved anywhere near what I did if I was leading people in a warm, stable, and comfortable environment. So I came to really love and embrace major change. I relished the challenge of being the one person in the room who could be relied upon to stay calm, remain impartially rational, and keep my people focused and productive. My observation coming out the back end of all of this is that this is a differentiator for really successful executives. They don't fear change and they don't recoil from challenge, conflict and uncertainty. They embrace it. But don't forget there's a big difference between a smart executive and a great leader. Your goal is to be both. Just take a moment to think about how you react to major upheaval. How do you feel inside? What do you project to the people around you? What do the other parties who aren't in your camp see? And do they experience you as a reliable, stable and trustworthy individual? Leading through any major event requires a level of resilience and self-control. It requires an attitude and approach that rises above the noise of our human fear, our anger, our frustration and even our greed. It demands that we have grace under pressure. That state you achieve when your outward projection of calm is completely congruent with the inner calm that you're feeling. Because you know that you're going to be able to handle anything that's thrown at you. My first real experience of a major upheaval was being on the wrong end of a semi-hostile takeover. I've probably mentioned this before in previous episodes, and I fleshed the story out more in our Leadership Beyond the Theory program. But today... I want to give you some insight into the takeover of MIM in the early 2000s that I haven't really ever spoken about before. When the takeover bid was launched by Extrata in 2003, MIM was considered to be a perennial underperformer on the ASX. It was one of the top 50 companies by market cap, and there was a perception that it was a great company with great assets, but that it had never quite been able to realise its potential. So the stock was probably undervalued. As a result, When the offer from Extrata came in, the board was predisposed to considering and ultimately accepting it. However, the CEO thought that the bid was a lowball that undervalued MIM. This is why I say the takeover was semi-hostile. The board was in favour of the transaction, while the CEO and many on the management team were against it on the basis that it significantly undervalued the business. In the end, the shareholders accepted the deal and the rest is history. But it's what happened after that that's most interesting to me. I was the CIO, and I'd only been in the company for a short time, just a little over a year by the time the transaction completed. But I'd been there long enough to craft and sell the strategy to the executive that would drive maximum value for MIM through use of its technology capability and platforms. Well, guess what? The new owner had other ideas. A fundamental shift in the philosophy of how to run the company and therefore how to deliver the technology needs of the business. It was moving away from a centralised support capability for things like IT and HR, to one where each business unit could choose to do whatever it thought was best for its own purposes. 
Now this meant we had to dismantle much of the work that had been done in the previous year, and in fact in the years leading up to my arrival in the business. We had to dismember key components of the capability that we'd installed. We had to outsource certain core functions that we'd previously built capability for in-house. We had to deliver different solutions for each business unit, watching the scale economies that we'd built evaporate. We watched much of the value that we'd managed to create for MIM simply vanish. But that wasn't our problem. To give you a brief overview of the principles that I used to lead through this tumultuous time, I took the following approach with my team. We will fight as hard as we possibly can to educate the new owners on why we've done things a certain way. We'll fight as hard as we can to show the new owners where we think the real value is in the company's existing IT deployment. We will fight as hard as we possibly can to make the new owners aware of the key risks we see in both the new model and the transition to it. We will fight as hard as we possibly can so that the new owners can understand the talent and capability that we've built in the current team. But you know what? At the end of the day, it is completely up to them to make the decisions on what to do. It's their prerogative as the owners of the business to decide how to deploy any of the resources at their disposal, even if we don't necessarily agree with those decisions. Now, this is where I learned a really important principle. You can't care more about an outcome than the person who knows they'll ultimately have to live with that outcome. And this is where leadership became so important. I had to keep the team focused and productive through all of this. We had to support the company so that it could operate without any issues during the transition, while at the same time reshaping and recasting what that landscape looked like. So to use the old cliche, we were rebuilding the plane's engines while it was flying at 38,000 feet. Many of the team were angry and resentful towards the new owners. A lot of their friends and colleagues had already lost their jobs, and many of those who were still there were at risk of losing theirs once the transition was completed. So keeping them focused wasn't easy. But I always came back to a few key messages. A lot of the decisions being made are out of our control, and we can't afford to get all bent out of shape by that. Our job is to execute on the decisions of our employer, and we need to display the ultimate level of commitment and professionalism while we do that. This isn't about the new owner, it's about us and who we are. We're going to look back on this as being a defining chapter in our careers. The experience and skill we gain from this situation is going to make us more confident, capable, and better at what we do. We will be irresistible to future employers no matter where the cards fall at the end of this process. Now that attitude and the focus it brought to the team helped us to deliver a seamless transition to the new operating model. What events are you likely to face? And what would be the most important things to you as a leader? I just want to take a quick fly over the top of a few of the scenarios that you're going to face and what the major challenges are going to be in each case. The first is acquiring new assets. Now, when you're looking to acquire new assets, the biggest danger is white line fever. I've probably mentioned in a previous episode the acquisition of the Riversdale mine in Mozambique by global mining giant Rio Tinto. At a time where competition for new mining assets was fierce, Rio massively overpaid for Riversdale. In a company that was known for its cool, analytical approach, emotion won the day. 
Rio's fixation on getting the deal done, the white line fever as I like to call it, caused him to overlook some glaringly obvious risks and to make some heroic assumptions that could never have stacked up. Rio paid 3.7 billion US dollars to acquire the Riversdale mine in 2011. But as the problems unfolded in short order, they ended up selling it only three years later for 50 million US dollars, a little over 1% of its purchase price. Now, this is a cautionary tale about getting too fixated on any outcome that you want. The next is disposal of assets. When you're selling a business or a key part of a business, you may have an emotional attachment to that asset. But you've got to see beyond that. I've seen some potentially awesome deals collapse because one of the parties has an unrealistic perception of the asset's value. Remember, the value is determined by the buyer, not the seller. You can think whatever you want about the value of what you're trying to sell, but the market is going to tell you what it's really worth right now. It's hard to remove the emotion, but it's essential to do that if you want to open the door to a successful transaction. The next type of major upheaval is taking on an equity partner. Now, once again, this is a matter of perception when it comes to valuation. I occasionally catch an episode of Shark Tank, or even its forerunner, Dragon's Den. Now, if you've never seen these shows, entrepreneurs pitch for investment from the sharks and offer them equity in exchange for their capital, expertise, and connections. When the offer is stated by the entrepreneurs, you can see how they value what they've built. So, for example, we're offering a 20% stake in the company for $100,000. So in this example, the company would be valued at half a million dollars. But how do they come up with that number? Well, often it's based either on what they've already invested or perhaps on what they think they need to spend to take the company through its next phase of growth. The sharks, on the other hand, are likely to be looking at more useful valuation measures like earnings multiples or uh, discounted cash flow valuations. In the absence of this, it comes down to gut feel and a sense of whether the product can be successful in the market. The point is, once again, emotion can sometimes overwhelm reality. So it's important to understand sunk cost. Any equity allocation should depend primarily on two things. The first is what the company is actually worth, not the sunk cost you've incurred as the founder. The second is what value the new equity holder can bring to the party. If you don't secure their involvement, what's the likelihood that venture can still be successful? This is going to determine how much of an equity slice you might be willing to part with. The next major event is being on the wrong end of an M&A transaction. Now, I think my MIM story has pretty much covered this. You've got to learn to put your self-interest aside, even though it's times like these where this is often the hardest thing to do. Focus on your own professionalism and reputation. Remember that the experience you gain in this time will be invaluable in shaping who you are. It gives you wildly accelerated growth in experience and resilience. And as a leader, you give your people this gift as well. Uh, the next major type of upheaval is being on the right end of an M&A transaction. I've got one word for you here. Humility. There's a huge temptation when you are the acquiring company to forcefully impose your will and have things done your way. But remember, there's a reason why you're acquiring the target company. So, listen. Listen to the people who've built the company that you're acquiring. Listen to where they think you can maximise value. 
Sure, you have to make your own decisions, but don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I've seen that happen too many times. Uh, finally, a merger of equals. Sorry, my bad. No such thing. <laughs> One company is always dominant in the process, no matter what the spin is. Now, if you're struggling to work out which one is dominant, just look at who the board appoints as the CEO of the combined entity. That'll give you a clue. In this case, you'll need to work out which end you're on, and then apply the approaches I outlined in the first couple of scenarios. Look, this is just a grab bag of the types of events you're likely to face in senior leadership roles, or if you're running your own business. There are also things like corporate restructures, redundancy and cost-cutting exercises, outsourcing initiatives, IPOs, trade sales, the list goes on. The trick for you as a leader is to be able to bring the right mindset and attitude to those times so that you lead your people through them with strength and clarity of purpose. And that takes grace under pressure. There are some universal principles that are going to make it easier for you to lead through times of major upheaval. Here's my top seven. Number one, fight for the best outcome, no matter what. This means you have to park your self-interest, and this can be really difficult in high-stakes situations. But you'll distinguish yourself in these moments. Very few people can do this successfully, so your ability to fight for the right outcomes, for the right reasons, will stand out. It may not make a huge difference to the situation you're in, but it'll make an unbelievable difference to every career challenge you face from that point forward. Tip number two, remember, it's not your call. Often you can't control the outcomes because you don't own the decision rights. So work out where and when you don't have control and let it go. So having said that you have to fight hard for the best outcomes, this has its limits. If the decision makers choose a different path, Try not to get bitter and twisted about that. Your job is to lead your team to execute on management intent to the best of your ability. Number three, always think of the other party first. When you're in a situation that requires agreement on things like an asset or company valuation, ask yourself what you want. Do you want to be right or do you want to do a deal? I've seen, fairly recently, a $35 million deal almost blow up because of a disagreement about a few hundred thousand. So the best way to do this is to exercise your empathy. Try to understand, to the greatest extent possible, what constitutes value for the other party. If you can't find a way through this, you may end up shooting yourself in the foot. Hack number four, protect your people wherever you can. Now, protecting your people from some of the vagaries of major upheaval is good leadership. But remember, they have a path to tread too. You will never be able to shield them completely, nor should you want to. Whatever happens to an individual happens for a reason. Your job as a leader is to help them to see the meaning in what's happening, even when it's out of their control and yours. Tip number five. It's not worth what you've put into it, It's only worth what the market will bear. (laughs) Now, whenever you have to put a value on something that you own, do your best to take the emotion out of it. If you cling doggedly to your perception of value, you might miss an opportunity to capture its real value. And value is in the eye of the beholder, so don't be too rigid. Number six, where there's a lot of uncertainty, there's also a lot of opportunity. 
Now, this is a really important principle. I found that in times of extreme turmoil and upheaval, there was a lot of open ground to run in. If you can manage to focus on the opportunity and look optimistically at the potential a difficult situation offers, you'd be surprised how it can change your outlook. Finally, my last hack number seven, watch out for white line fever. Don't get transfixed on an outcome. That can lead to really big mistakes. Constantly ask yourself the question on the way through any deal, any proposed investment or any major growth opportunity. Based on what I've learned, does this still make sense? This is going to give you a built-in opportunity to reevaluate the playing field whenever you learn something new. It could save you from your own Riversdale mine experience. Now look, the bottom line is, if you can adopt the right mindset and attitude in times of major upheaval, you'll find it much easier to lead a team through the challenges that inevitably arise. And that will distinguish you as a leader who can really lift and lead with confidence, optimism and passion during those critical events. All right, so that brings us to the end of episode 224. Thanks so much for joining us. And remember, at Your CEO Mentor, our purpose is to improve the quality of leaders globally. So please make sure you subscribe to No Bullshit Leadership on your favourite podcast player. Talking of upheaval, I look forward to next week's episode, Handling Redundancies Competently. Until then, I know you'll take every opportunity you can to be a no-bullshit leader.